0: Owen Peters and I'm Owen Shirley and today you find us having traveled back in time to July 1969 we're at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida in fact we're standing beside the Saturn V rocket as it launches to the moon for the Apollo
1: 11 mission
0: Unfortunately, the budget of the Amps podcast doesn't quite extend to the purchase of a time machine, so what you're actually listening to is an excerpt from the sound design of the film Apollo 11, which has been generously provided to us by sound designer Eric Milano.
1: Yeah, Eric actually won the 7th Annual Amps Award for Factual Film Sound this year, a greatly deserved prize for his work on the soundtrack of this film.
0: Yeah, and we were able to speak to Eric this month via Zoom from his studio in New York.
1: So yeah, just to start things off formally, I guess um, I just wanted to say welcome to the podcast, Eric Milano, and congratulations once again. Thank you. For winning the Amps Award for Factual Sound in a Feature. Um, Very well deserved.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. It was an
0: honour. And um, Andrew Wilson, the newly appointed AMPS chair, also pointed out today that more people have actually walked on the moon than have won the AMPS Factual Film Sound Award. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, you know. It's a very exclusive club. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Apparently. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah, really excited to just get into more detail about a film I was able to see in the cinema and just really enjoyed on that big scale. And
2: did you see it in IMAX?
1: Not quite in IMAX, sadly. It was yeah. um, it was a decent screen, but, okay. you know, more standard. I would love to see it in IMAX. Uh, with a bit of luck, a sort of re-release would be great. Yeah. Maybe 75th anniversary or something. Right. A bit earlier if I'm right. lucky. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's just great to, to hear more about your process with it, bringing it to the screen in the way you did. And it's kind of a key thing in our mind was just when did you become involved in the project in the first place? It's such a long developing idea.
2: Yeah, so I originally got involved with the director, Todd Miller, um, through his, one of his earlier films called Dinosaur 13, um, which is an, an excellent, excellent film. Um, and we worked on that at a place called Gigantic Studios in uh, Chelsea, New York, New York City. And we just hit it off great, and from there, you know it was it was a number of years before he came to me with Apollo eleven, and he really sort of came to me uh, without much notice you know he he um he sort of threw it on me when he was already already needing some sound to present to some people. Oh, okay, yeah,
0: so what was his initial kind of did he give you any initial kind of direction or instructions or what were your early conversations about the same with him like, or was it just kind of like, uh, can you put some stuff on this, please?
2: He really was not very forthcoming. And, uh, he, he had told me about the project over the phone, like maybe a few months earlier. And it, I actually was really nervous. I was like, oh my God, like mm. what, what is, what am I going to do here? Like, oh my God, this, this seems like a daunting task. And I couldn't really get a handle on what sort of project it was. You know, is it um, how how he was going to approach the 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 telling of the story and everything. Um, so I was I was very nervous, and I really didn't get a handle around the whole thing until he actually sent me some some uh, a cut mm. of of the first twenty minutes. Is all he had completed at that point.
0: Okay. Wow.
1: It's so a very different film at that stage.
2: Yes, yes, and and as you uh, may remember, the first twenty minutes really has nothing to do with flying through space. It's it's all um, crowds and hmm. seeing the the rocket getting prepared by technicians. Hmm. Um, you see, like you know a young Johnny Carson and different, um, famous people from, from that time period. And so it, it was not at all what I was expecting, but I thought it was amazing. Just that, that, that is, I think one of my favorite parts of the film, just that, that first 20 minutes is really, Mm. really sets the stage. And, um, it's just so vivid the yeah um the footage you know, is
0: is just stunning isn't it
2: It really is
0: it's really evocative
2: yeah
1: Yeah I have to agree that that is my favorite piece as well like so much of that feels new Yeah uh, new in terms of not having seen it before but it also feels like it was filmed yesterday Yeah Mm. And all the kind of sonic detail in there of mm. the the world building detail of hearing like the newscasters talk about the event and hearing those crowds kind of slowly creep into the soundtrack is right. just really engaging up to up to the launch. Mm. It feels like there's this slow and steady build occurring right up to the launch. Actually, is is that actually the case? Is there a kind of build to it, or is that just the way I'm experiencing it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I think we intended some build, and also. Um the music helps a lot with that. Mm. And but yeah, one one of the first very surprising things to me was that there was uh, and he didn't tell me this at first is that there was literally not any sound. There was no sound to that footage. I still don't quite understand why um but <laughs> maybe maybe there is sound somewhere, you know, and just no one gave it to me or maybe it was so awful or or or, uh, or maybe you know Maybe Todd, uh director Todd didn't want to use it, but he told me there's just no sound. Nope, it's all of you, man. It's all <laughs> it's all on you.
0: So what 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 actually came out of the edit then? What was turned over to you with the picture in terms of sound?
2: Todd had done a little bit of of very basic things to sort of paint a paint a rough sketch of of what he was looking for. Yeah. Um with some crowds and some uh but a lot of it really just didn't have anything. Or, you know, of course, it does have the um, the mission control audio. Of course, yeah. that's there. Um, but other than that, there's really nothing else.
0: So was there any discussion about being authentic with the signs that you were using in terms of, you know, like the machinery, the vehicles, the kind of walla, the, the all that kind of stuff?
2: There was because, um, you know, Todd made it clear to me, like, you know, when we're, there are so many, people out there who are just NASA nerds, I guess is a uh, one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who who really, and he really wanted to please the NASA, NASA nerds um, and make sure that we're really going for a very authentic sounds. And, you know, it, typically in films, that's less important to me because I, I don't, you know, I'm not always, you know, if it's an uh, an AK-47 or an AK-46, I'm not going to be able to to really know, be, not being a, you know, yeah. So i um, typically in my, in my uh, sound travels, I haven't been a super stickler for that, but this time we really were, and we really used authentic, you know, the sounds of the actual helicopter and the sounds of um, the actual launch.
0: What what about like the um? Because just in the opening scenes where the Saturn V is being slowly kind of tracked out. To like the launch pad, and you've got the um, the tread of the tank, sort of.
2: Yeah, right, right. Is that something
0: that you were able in any way to kind of research what it would have sounded like, or did you just kind of take a best guess at what
2: you know? That was completely fabricated. Yeah, we didn't yeah. have any sound for that, and we had to that we had to completely imagine what that would sound like.
0: Yeah. Oh, so did such a great job.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, and and although I'm not, as I was saying, not as into. Um, making sure we have the exact right engine or typically in my travels what I am really into is just making it feel like we're there mm. and I feel like that's really the role of sound you know um mm. to make things come alive and make it feel like we're in that world and just make you as you're sitting there in the audience feel like you know that there really was sound that somebody is recording what's going what's going on and and to just make that transparent and and make it feel completely authentic so that that was my intention absolutely Mm, fantastic
0: yeah and so what what, how difficult was it for you to find the the recordings that you needed in terms of the right vehicles or say i don't know whether you were you able to find say any kind of period background like wild tracks or walla recordings or
2: that that was there was um some difficulty in that you know certain things like for some reason the helicopters, um, the exact models were, were relatively easy to find. Mm. Um, and the launch wasn't too difficult to, to find some different elements that, that were working really well um, that were also authentic. Mm. Um, there's another thing that, that um, there's a point when they're actually trying to land on the moon and they only have so much fuel to do that. And at some point when they're getting close, a, an alarm goes off. And we wanted to know what did that alarm sound like. We wanted to be authentic with that. and um, mm. But there was no sound because apparently only it was only played in the astronauts' headsets. Right. And nowhere else. It wasn't played over mission control. So somehow somebody found the manual for the, for the spacecraft, which had, you know, God knows how many pages to it. But there's a section where they actually say what the alarm sounds like. So it's like, you know, sine wave at 50 hertz for three seconds and then oscillates up to 120 hertz for one second. So the, those actually, those uh, kilohertz are way too low. It's, it's much higher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm just giving an example. But it was something yeah. like, bee, wee. Oh wow. And so because because I knew exactly how long it was and what what uh, frequency it is at, I could just use a a, si- a sine wave generator, a uh, tone generator and make that exact noise and then of course I passed it through my various chains to make it sound as you know, crappy and like it's coming from 1969. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um so yeah, so if you if you're listening to that part you, you can know that that's completely Created in Pro Tools.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Of getting a a kind of technical description of, of
2: yeah of the sound. Yeah, and and I know that that um, wallet can be a particularly tricky thing because matching the exact crowd and um, the, trying to get the the energy can be a difficult thing. Uh, wallet is is a special a special beast, and that was tough for me to to really get it so that I was feeling authentic
0: Mm.
1: yeah sure one of the things that strikes me about how effectively everything feels authentic is is that perspective Mm. uh, and tone of the sounds I mean going back to the opening shot you have this huge incredible piece of machinery but the sound feels appropriately grounded and Mm. normal Mm. and then when we move into crowds you know it's it's as you say it's kind of waller it's it's that feeling of a busy and excited crowd uh, and we also have kind of perspective changes with like voices on the radio and moving through. So, mm. uh, did you always have a really clear idea of how that would go, or did that kind of evolve bit by bit? Yeah,
2: you know, again, I, I just sort of leave it up to. You. I want it to feel very authentic, and so things like I do some very slight panning at times, just to feel like we're really there when the camera's moving and turning its its quote unquote head. Uh, but of course I try not to go too far with it because I don't I don't wanna take take the audience member out and say, Oh, you know, oh we're in a theater. You know, that then they snap out of it. But just keep it subtle enough that it that it feels very realistic and it feels like we're really there.
0: Yeah. I mean the perspective is a really important thing in the scene in this film, isn't it? Because you because there's no dialogue as such, direct dialogue. There's no narration, there's no voiceover. Right. So all we so that the whole story is kind of told through the actual commentators of the time, exactly. So you've got like the public service broadcast. Well, that was, I think that's what it seems like that you've got obviously like launch control telecoms. Yeah, you've also got the guy kind of explaining, and then sometimes, yeah, we're with that commentator in as if we're in our he's in our headphones almost. And then there's other times when he's coming across the PA. Yeah, when we're kind of with the crowd, right? And it's really wonderful how you do that, how you kind of move. The perspective of the voice yes and then sometimes the voice changes so it'll be the different people in like the launch control center capcom yeah. or whatever they call it right um but then even it's kind of like a radio broadcast at times or mm. oh, suddenly yeah. where it's jfk kind of like you know yeah. his speech and yeah that kind of perspective shift is really interesting and really kind of helps to tell the story
2: it does it does and it and, and it's They don't really tell you, you know, of course, who's speaking. In fact, they don't tell you anything in the movie. And so, you know, I believe some of those people were people who were hired by NASA um, to sort of do exactly what they're doing, tell that story. And then, also at the beginning, there's Walter Cronkite, who is a famous journalist mm. from the era. But you don't, of course, as you're watching it, you don't necessarily know who's speaking. But it doesn't really matter, you know. No, and you don't. No. You don't always know what's happening. Where Where are we going? What? But that That's really the whole magic of the piece is that you just get to be a spectator. Mm. No one's telling you what to think. No one's telling you anything. You're just watching uh humanity make it to the moon
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it really pulls you in like that right yeah and i as i say i really enjoy that first 20 minutes but then we build up to the rocket launch and that feels like a moment where we get to get the best seat in the house really better than spectator yeah. seat. Mm. you know we're we're very close up again beautiful footage and i'm sure just an exciting playground yeah to be presented with so i, I just kind of kind of talk about two things with that though a court like the sound of the rocket um and how that developed but also it's the first time that i'm really aware of of the music of the score playing a big role in the film so and that seems like a kind of very delicate performance between the two
2: yeah so i mean this, the score by matt morton um he also wanted to be very authentic and he he get, he put you know some uh, metaphorical handcuffs on himself and he he said that i am not going to use any a musical instrument that wasn't available in 1969 in my score. Right. So that's an incredible thing, right there. You know, and there's. I saw pictures of his studio where he has this enormous um mode synthesizer. You know, with all the plug-in. Um, yeah, all well, the patches, the leads, patch patch cables. Thank you. That he, that he used for a, most of the score was was um composed through that, and it's really an incredible score. And I leaned on it quite heavily throughout the music is playing as we're leading up and it's a huge buildup and the mission control saying five, you know, we have T minus 20, 20 minutes and then 10 minutes and then five minutes is a big buildup. And then it, the, it, we, we focus on the rocket and we just hear a doom, 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 doom. And then it just goes silent. And then we go into the launch and, and there's no music for the next, I think maybe at least two minutes mm. um, during the actual launch. And, there, you know, we actually spoke to Neil Armstrong's son, who was at the launch. Oh, right. And just asked him, asked him what he remembered, if, if he could remember anything specifically that, that, about the launch that he might like to hear. And he said he remembered hearing like a popcorn type sound towards, you know, after the, the initial liftoff. Mm. As, it, as it arced into the sky, he remembers hearing sort of like a pop, 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 pop as if you know when you're making popcorn on the stove. Mm. And then I listened to the recordings and that is it is quite clearly there that sound. Um so we made sure to have that um I'm not sure what that actually is it's <laughs> who knows. <laughs> so
0: did you just approach it from listening to the actual recordings you had of the launch and then just trying to bring out as much fidelity of that as you could by kind of adding layers
2: and Kind of. I, I did and but also really I wanted um, because the sound itself it evolves but it, it evolves quite slowly and it's just basically a huge boom and rumble. Mm. And so there really isn't much motion in it, there'sn't much variety or interest in it. And so basically I just went with what we're seeing on screen and tried to take that sound and manipulate it in ways to make it change. With what what was happening on this on the screen, be it you know um, we're cutting to a close up or we're cutting to a wide shot. Mm. Um, there's a, there's a moment where the enormous booster of the rocket is slowly moving as as the the rocket lifts off, and we don't we don't see the actual flame mm. until maybe fifteen seconds into it, as the booster gets high enough that we finally see the flame erupting. And I just used a technique where. that I I like to use a lot in situations where I want to really move with a picture on on a sound that's relatively steady. And so I just, you know, I I like to use um, uh, the Pro-Q EQs or um, actually a lot of EQs have this feature where you can um, sweep with the EQ, but you just listen to where that band is. Mm. You're sort of soloing that band as you sweep. So you can sort of just hear um, where's the interesting part of this sound Mm. And so this this was in the highs, and I just as the flames came into into view, I just really boosted that in in time with the flame coming into view and it really worked well mm. and it just seemed like that's that's what really was happening
1: it's really interesting it really yeah great job brings life into like say quite a long sequence really where even a great and rich sound can become like tiresome on the ears so
2: mm. exactly it, it literally lasted for two minutes that that scene so it needed it needed some help yeah
0: yeah just going back to the music cuz it it was interesting i thought that the the music quite a lot of the time felt to me quite understated as well mm-hmm. in a good way i mean in that it, it was it was kept relatively low in the mix a lot of the time it mm-hmm. felt like to me whereas in a lot of films would just go full blast right music full up right but you didn't do that you know you could always there was times when the music there was a lot going on in the music but you could still hear all the elements in the sound design even bits of kind of you know room tone or wallow or something you know it never dominated and I like that I liked I liked the kind of subtle balance that you had
2: yeah and uh, that, that that was also the director's he wanted to really have it be understated at many points and and really rely on the sound. Mm. I think that's what that's what I was nervous about at first. It's you know he he's just like yep, there's gonna be a a ton of a ton of moments where <laughs> where it's all on you, buddy. And uh, <laughs> but but what worked really well for me though is that as I mentioned, um, he he only gave me the first twenty minutes at first, and he's like, yeah, we just need to we need to get out this first scene and just throw some stuff over it, and um, so that we can you know present it to these um. I think it was people that were potential financers of the film, mm. but that sort of forced me to just do it, you know, I didn't have time to think about it, I didn't have time to hire anyone, mm. um, you just go in there and, and do it, and that, and that really worked, because it really um, allowed me to get into it, and he was really pleased with what I did, so it worked.
1: Sounds great as part of a process to have that sort of micro-focus element of the film, and as you say, really kind of get your head into that space, and
2: exactly, and it was lower. It was also lower pressure because this was. It didn't have to. Uh, it wasn't the final thing. It was just like, yeah, let's do some stuff for this little screening, and um, that allowed me to really get into it without without there being a lot of pressure. And I think that really helped me to to really shine.
1: So, what was the next phase after that? Feud was the next stage. The whole film being delivered to you, or
2: no, no. I, I, it really what came to me completely in chunks um the entire time and, and it really right up to the end you know um so he would get me that first 20 minutes it kind of came in about 20 minute chunks mm. and sometimes there was a month in between them okay you know it was not <laughs> i've never i've never worked on a film in this manner before what? um it really we worked over really over the course of a year and yet it really was just like maybe a week or two at a you know here and then a week or two here and a week or two there mm. um Yeah, and in terms of process
0: then obviously another key thing was all the kind of um what we'll call dialogue in terms of the you know particularly all the telecommunications and the stuff that came from NASA did you find a particular kind of workflow for kind of cleaning that up and how you were going to process it or was it just a case of kind of trial and error and just seeing what worked and trying different kind of tools
2: yeah um well, you know, first of all, of course, um, the original footage was something like 11,000 hours of mission control audio, Amazing. completely not at all synced to the footage. Mm. And so um, there was a team of people, Ben Feist and Stephen Slater, who Ben, I believe, developed some kind of his own algorithm to remove all the wow and flutter. There Apparently, there was a ton of wow and flutter, but it, you know... It, it changes mm. throughout, and so he created some kind of algorithm to remove that all from all eleven thousand hours of it <laughs> and um Whoa. I believe it was Steven who who was responsible to, for for syncing a lot of it and which is incredible, you know, with yeah. that much stuff that you can actually there are moments where we we do see um the mission control guys yeah uh having sync sync lips yeah. so so that was of course. The first thing which i had nothing to do with <laughs> and they then they presented me the with um the sound and yeah there was there was a lot of it that was barely even audible because there's so many tones over it so as you may know from from dealing with tones if there are a ton of tones on some dialogue if you remove too many of the tones mm. the dialogue starts to sound pretty awful yeah even though you've removed the tones mm. so you have to sort of balance that um and of course it's a lot easier to deal with mission control audio because it's supposed to sound like crap. <laughs> no, <laughs> no one's expecting it to, to sound like, um, uh, a beautiful voiceover. So, no. um, so you do have that advantage. And, but, you know, so at the same time, a lot of the, um, the sounds that I added, I actually, you know, throughout had a, a filter over basically everything, um, to make it all sound a little bit crappy mm. so that, um, To just give it that authentic feel, you know, if all of a sudden you hear the most pristine, beautiful sounding things, it just doesn't feel realistic. You know, just given the quality of the footage and um, the sound of the Mission Control, um, I wanted to keep all of that feeling authentic and feeling like it was coming from 1969.
0: And did you have any actual kind of... Did anyone make any recordings with inside Mission Control? Did it, were there any wild tracks of kind of background noise or anything like that? Or were you able to speak to anyone who was there
2: to kind of find out what it sounded like? I did. I did. I'm remembering I did have some wild tracks from Mission Control. Oh, wow. Um, basically, just like people just talking in the big room. mm um, which was a wonderful thing to have because I just sort of had a bed mm. that I could put throughout of, of especially when there's just moments when we just saw mission control and there's no one actually speaking. Um, that was a beautiful thing to have. There was some wild tracks. Must have felt like a real privilege working with some of, you know. It really did. It was it was quite an incredible uh thing to be a part of.
1: Yeah. In in terms of um again, coming back around to like authenticity and having that right sonic quality. Um, I was really curious how you approached the ambiences in the the lunar modules themselves and and being with the astronauts uh, in those spaces. how did How did you kind of develop that space or, or approach that in relation to keeping it authentic?
2: Yeah, so I mean, that probably was one area where maybe it wasn't quite as authentic as as reality because I believe in outer space, there's really no sound yeah. unless, you, unless you have a, an engine that's firing in that moment. Um, but basically, as I understand it, the, the, the rocket ship propels itself. And then once it hits outer space, it, it kicks off its boosters yeah. and it's just floating. You know, It's basically just floating. It's, it's, it, has, it has inertia on its side, of course. Mm. And that's how, that's how it does it. So there really is very little sound at all. But we did not go with that. It just, no. it just silence, complete silence just wasn't working. So we did put in, um, you know, sort of static or um, a general low, not engine sound, but it's hard to describe what we went with, but it was something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a bit like with, um, I guess, when you, like the sort of shots where the lunar module and kind of E i forget the names is it um eagle and columbia right uh-huh. when they kind of connect or where, yeah. separate right, just right. The little subtle touches of kind of metallic yes kind of it was perfect
2: i thought really yes buying. we definitely had those and those of course you know i assume that that to see those they were looking through some kind of thick glass and there probably was no sound at all mm. but yeah we went with some metallic clunks Mm. Um, as they attach yeah
1: it just feels right
2: so yeah we weren't that authentic you know there must be some some nerds out there are quite angry <laughs> yeah but, no but it really helps to tell the story definitely yeah
1: i can imagine it's a real process of feeling that out what feels right absolutely um, what you can get away with what feels like too much
2: exactly
0: yeah what was another point oh there's the point when they're when you're with them i think is is it on their when they're on their journey back from the moon and there's a point where there's a kind of spinning wireless radio in, like, zero gravity, mm. and you and you kind of get right. the sat where the sound kind of revolves with the thing. Such a lovely touch that it really kind of... Yeah, really that, that
2: was the actual song that they played, I believe, because, you know, we have the mission control, and you hear one of them... This, this was not in the film, I don't think. Um, one of them says, oh, you know, I'm going to play some music or something, and let, let's play this song. Mm. And... Then they play that song. But of course, we, we didn't want to use that, you know, off, very off-mic mission control audio because we actually were going to use that as a, as a backdrop to the montage. So we used the actual song, but sort of as we cut back between uh, reality and the montage, uh, we went, you know, made it sound um, as if we're on the ship and then to full quality when we were in the montage. But yeah, at the end, there's a, there's a spinning radio where I I really tried to um go with as much as I could imagine that would sound, um where I actually you know automated the the roll off of the EQ and oh man that was to get that right was was not easy I'm not sure I actually did get it right but oh well, it sounded great but it seemed yeah, to work it sounded yeah really good. okay yeah. thanks thank you yeah it was a great movement I wasn't you know I wasn't sure am I doing too much here but the director loved it yeah.
1: Again, just felt like another relatively small detail that just makes you feel like you're in that cockpit you're in that space you know it gives you a mm. grounding of perspective again
0: yes and another thing that which i loved as well was your the approach to the sound of like the lunar capsule re-entry into the earth atmosphere mm. again you know you're just kind of t- making creative choices our artistic license i guess but I thought I thought it sounded it was really yeah just I think you did a great job I don't know if there's anything you can remember about how you pr- approached that
2: yeah I I totally remember that sound I have no memory of what I used for it but I remember the sound itself and it was a conglomerate of many things but yeah most of all it was just such a beautiful like sucking and it really worked well with the music yeah. which was also quite an intense uh, piece of music right there and it just all just climaxed in a in a moment of black so yeah i I loved that moment that was a great one yeah
0: did you have much dialogue with the composer while you were working on it or was it just a case of him sending you cues and um or was there any kind of to and fro and sort of
2: i did not have the music really until the last very last minute oh okay and yeah i did not have it whatsoever so um maybe i had some like um temp music that Mm. was also by him that's possible um, but I definitely did not have a, a lot of the finals um, until very late in the game, which is often the case um, mm. in my experience. But the the director was working in, uh, intimately with him. They're actually high school buddies. Oh right. Yeah. So that's Matt and Morton.
1: You must have been very happy to like receive that music and hear that for the first time, and yeah, feel like because it feels like there's, there's so much space within the music because of it being synth sounds and relatively. Kind of minimalist but it also kind of punches through really effectively so
2: yeah he's he's an incredible composer you know because i also mixed his music for dinosaur 13 which which he also did and there's something he's really great at getting this very majestic sound and matching the moods so well and i remember there was one point when i really became lost in the music and I just remember I was, I was pushing it really loud. And the, the director said, hey, you know, you're going a little little hot with that. <laughs> and I, I, I had just gotten lost in the music. And um, it was during the, um, the part where uh, they had launched off from the moon and were meeting the, um, the capsule in orbit. And you sort of see this little dot mm. of the capsule. And it just gets closer and closer and closer. Um, and that's, that's the part where I was pushing the music way too much. It's a beautiful composition. I'm, I'm a former musician, probably like yeah. many of us, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, an incredible moment, that as well, incredible footage, very, very kind of cinematic moment, so... Yeah. I can imagine getting lost in that very easily. Absolutely. <laughs> right, another big sort of music sequence that feels, sort of has a symmetry with the Saturn V launch um, is the lunar landing itself, where you have very strong musical moment, but also very dialogue-heavy, very kind of comms-heavy as they kind of describe the descent with the 1202 alarm going off and all that Mm. kind of panic conversation. Yeah. Was that always that kind of shape in terms of how much dialogue and comms was happening there? Or was that something you kind of built up and made busier or thinned out in any way?
2: Yeah, I remember we went through a few iterations of that one. Um, But basically, we just went for more and more intensity to match what was going on there. And we had all kinds of... You know, a lot of that stuff, you can't even understand what they're saying, but you can sort of feel... (laughs) The excitement yeah. of these these people who have spent years now, and this is the moment. And it, you know, it's incredible that they they literally almost ran out of fuel, and God knows what would have happened <laughs> if they couldn't, you know, if they couldn't uh, put on their boosters. I imagine they would have crashed into the moon. But uh, that was an yeah an intense intense moment where you could just feel the tension, and we wanted to really match that. And then there's an alarm going off, which no one at the time really understood. You know, it took them a, a few minutes to understand which alarm it was and and what it meant. And yeah,
0: yeah, because I think isn't there something where in the comms they talk about monitoring the astronaut's heart rate and they right. talk about Neil Armstrong's heart rate going right. up to sort of right. like 100, 160 or something <laughs> 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 at one point? they are like, whoa. <laughs>
1: It's kind of great that the original dialogue kind of carries all that energy and emotion so effectively, yeah, and that you could and did sort of lean into that yes, feels very dramatic but
0: very authentically dramatic, yeah, which is great absolutely yeah, I was just thinking about it as well with the the kind of graphics are so simple they don 't tell you that much, yeah. but they just add just enough information
2: yeah, and those some of those graphics where they actually had you know sort of very simple line graphics drawing drawing the spaceships, that was added by Todd. Mm. At at a later point, because you know they wanted to have some way of, of of communicating what was happening to the audience rather than a narrator, they went with very simple mm. uh, graphic representations. Yeah, it's a great choice.
1: So, did you ever hear back from the NASA nerds regarding the work on the film once it was out there? Did they ever?
2: <laughs> I've only, you know, a few came up to me um, during certain screenings and just said how happy they were so <laughs> oh, great <laughs> mission accomplished <laughs> Didn't never heard any any bad any bad commentary but who knows if they would would let me know <laughs> oh i'm sure i'm sure you would have heard probably yeah <laughs> if they were genuinely upset you would have heard i'm
0: sure <laughs> yeah well it's a great reflection of the work the fact that you know you're not yeah. aware of any kind of criticism and yeah, you shouldn't be because it's a, yeah, it's a wonderful job.
1: Yeah, just a fantastic soundtrack and with images that strong that could kind of just exist on their own really and be amazing to have to be elevated in a cinematic level that really takes it somewhere special.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was a, it was a a big responsibility to uh to create the sound for the the moon landing um from start to finish. Uh I've worked on a wide range of stuff in my career but nothing like that, no not even close but i but i feel like uh working on such a wide range of films um everything from narratives to um documentaries um television shows advertisements um but also i came up in in a very uh by the seat of your pants type of environment where i was sort of i was a right-hand man to um Tom Paul who's a, who's a great um sound designer and mixer and he would just basically throw everything at me dialogue editing foley um what you name it sound design sound editing mixing and he would just say yeah do this do that, do that. and uh, that's how I, that's how I cut my teeth and it, it was really an amazing training to be able to do something like this where where I did do a lot of Foley and I did do every aspect
1: yeah sure so it really prepared you for this kind of experience because I, I we've kind of touched on it around but I, it does seem it's very independent uh development on your part working on this film it's something that maybe a lot of people might assume had a huge team doing lots of things at it But it's just really interesting to hear how personal it was
2: yeah and i did i did want to hire a a huge (laughs) team (laughs) Uh, but because of the manner in which todd was getting me the things he would he would sort of like give it to me and and say i need this by next week and it's not something that i do that often is hire a lot of people and so i you know i I don't have a lot of people that i know that i can trust that i know exactly what they're going to give back to me Mm. um and so I would have to just sort of get started on it and that's what I did and so that that's really the reason it happened that way it's I, I really would have loved to have a big team but um, hmm. yeah it just it just worked out you know it just worked out better that I just get it done and and it, and it worked somehow it worked really well yeah mm. can't praise it enough really
1: and I, I feel like there's a lot of your personality in
2: it yeah. here when you talk about
1: it so you know it certainly seems to be the benefit
2: yeah. Thank you so much.
1: So do you have any plans to work with Todd in sort of future? Is he working on anything similar, if you can say? Or
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you what the project is, but sure. I think because of how well Apollo 11 received, he now has a lot more options <laughs> as to what he can work on. And it's going to be something that's in the same style, you know, the same, the the Todd Miller style, where he's sort of getting out of the way and letting the story be told. But it's an enormous project and it's probably not going to be ready for a couple of years. Okay. But I, when I when I heard about it, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> 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 you thought Apollo 11 was tough, yeah. So, so you're on standby for
0: the next curveball then. <laughs> exactly. Well, I look forward to that. Yep, me too. Well,
1: thanks so much. I hope the uh, AMPS Award is something that um, Todd can appreciate just as much as well. I'm sure he does.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so thanks again for your time, Eric. It's um, been great to chat to you about Apollo 11. Thanks so much, guys. It's really been a pleasure to to talk with you guys about it, and I hope to see you guys at one of the socials.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're very welcome, anytime.
2: All right.
0: Amps Podcast, this is Bristol. Over. Uh, Go ahead, Bristol. Roger. Just want to say thanks again to Eric Milano for taking the time to speak to us and share the secrets of his sound design. Over copy that.
1: And thanks for joining us on this mission. Send all through the comms to our private line at at Amps Podcast. Over.
0: Amps Podcast, this is episode 13. Over.